Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3, the book of Daniel and chapter number 3. I believe tonight a text that many of us maybe have heard since we were children, uh, the story of the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, and yet much truth is contained in this story that helps us in the day and age in which we live, a day where we uh, face some threats, we face some opposition, we face some people that seem to have an agenda against God and against His work. And I believe there are important truths here for us in Daniel chapter 3. Let's read starting in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, and treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. The devil is the master of intimidation. He loves to intimidate God's people. It's interesting in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, it's interesting that God uses that metaphor of a roaring lion to describe Satan. I don't know everything there is to know about lions, but I know this, when a lion is hungry, he doesn't roar. In fact, when a lion is hungry, he's very quiet. 
He gets down in some cover and he, he kind of sneaks up to his prey. He kind of approaches them unbeknownst to them and then springs on them unawares. So a lion doesn't roar when he's hungry. A lion roars to intimidate. And God describes Satan as a roaring lion. He loves to intimidate. He loves to strike fear in our lives. And we live in a day, a culture today, where there is much intimidation. Around us, the world is becoming more anti-God. 29% of Americans tonight claim to be atheists. There are more and more people that have nothing to do with church or no time for God or they don't want to listen to anything from the Bible. We see the home breaking down. We see the family disintegrating, it seems, before our eyes. We live in a vulgar, a wicked, and a, and a, and a devious kind of society. And we, we sense that some of our freedoms are being uh, eroded and even taken away from us. We seem to be silenced in the public forums when it comes to what we believe from the scriptures. And we're sensing more and more government control. But have we forgotten that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? We must not forget the promises, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God designs everything in our life for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God. God has designed us to bring glory to him. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, power, and blessing, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whatsoever we do, we're to do all to the glory of God, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Now, how can we, in a time of difficulty, a time of threat perhaps, a time of even persecution, how can we turn that provoking into praise? Well, that's exactly what these three Hebrew men did. So let's follow their story. And let's see, first of all, a provocation. If you decide you're going to live for Jesus Christ, Satan will provoke you in some way to see if you're going to demonstrate what you declare. A minute ago, we sang these songs. We declared our faith in those songs. I love to tell the story. We're not ashamed of Jesus Christ here at church, and we sing it out, and we pray, and, and, and we listen to preaching. But somewhere this week, the devil is going to provoke you to see if you're willing to demonstrate what you declare. And we see a provocation or a provoking here of truth. In verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Did you notice that? My gods. He's provoking them about the truth. See, if there's one thing the devil hates, he hates the fact there's only one true God. The devil wants us to believe there's a multiplicity of gods because that would allow him to be God or that would allow us to be God. The devil hates the fact that there's only one God. 
But the Bible declares it over and over again. Know therefore this day and consider in, the, in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath, and there is none else. In Isaiah 45, verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And God does not share his glory with anybody. Isaiah 42 uh, says, I am the Lord, that's my name. My glory do not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. The devil wants you to think there are lots of gods that you can serve. Serve money, serve self, serve the world, serve the flesh, serve whoever. But God says, no, your worship is to be toward me. And so here is a provoking of truth. But notice also, the devil comes with a provoking of trust. See, most of us in this room, we, we don't argue the fact that there's only one God. We believe that. We, we believe tonight in, in one God. So the devil now provokes us about trusting that God. Look at verse 15. He says, now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So he's kind of conceding the fact, okay, you believe there's only one God, but I'm about to throw you into a fiery furnace, and who is that God that's going to deliver you? You see, the devil comes to us that believe that there's only one God, and he says, yeah, but can you trust him? Can you rely on him? Is he going to come through for you? Is he going to deliver you? Is he going to protect you? Is he going to provide for you when you need it? There's a provoking of trust. What if God is unfaithful? What if he's too busy for you? What if he doesn't have time to hear your prayer? What if he doesn't pay attention to you? What are you going to do then? Well, I'm thankful that God gives us promise after promise in his word that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Amen. Years ago, I was preaching in a little town called Lander, Wyoming. And uh, Sunday afternoon, the pastor, he said, Brother Gatch, I know you like to get some exercise. He said, how would you like to go on a hike this afternoon? I said, well, I'm, yeah, I'm game. He said, we have a beautiful canyon that runs out of Lander. And he said, it's, it's some of the most beautiful country you'll ever see. And, and we can hike for an hour. We can hike for two hours. We can hike for three hours. It, it runs along the river there. and It's just beautiful. Well, we changed clothes. And boy, he came out. He, he was a, a, a Marine in his former days. And he was in camouflage. He had weapons strapped to his, his belt. I'm thinking, man, this is a hike, right? And so we start hiking this canyon, and we're hiking along this river, and it's beautiful. The canyon is very narrow and high stone walls on either side and just all kinds of things to look at and wildlife hopping here and there, deer and, and rabbits and all kinds of things to look at. And we're hiking along, and it's good exercise, and we're hiking along this river, and probably about a mile or so into that canyon, I suddenly realized the river was gone. And it, 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 it kind of took me by surprise. I mean, we'd been hiking the same direction the river was flowing, and there was no way out of that canyon. 
And I'm thinking, this is weird. So I said, hey, Pastor. He was up ahead of me a few feet. I said, Pastor, uh, what happened to the river? And he kind of looked over his shoulder. He said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll see it again. We hiked for about another mile and a half. And all of a sudden, the river was there again. And I said, Pastor, stop, stop. Now, I'm getting a little tired, but I'm not hallucinating yet, okay? There was a river, then there wasn't a river, and now there's a river again. Explain this to me. He said, Brother Gatch, the river was there the whole time. It just runs underground for a mile and a half. Boy, I thought about that the rest of that afternoon. That's like God. Sometimes you can't see him. Sometimes he, 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 he seems like maybe he's off doing something else, but he's always there. He promises, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And sometimes when maybe we think, oh, there's so much going on that, that God is not really around, and the devil says, you know, like he did to Adam and Eve, hath God said? In other words, he'll, he'll tempt us with our trust in God. Can you trust him? But I'm glad God commands us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So here was a provocation. But notice the response of these three Hebrew men. Notice their proclamation. There was no hesitation on the part of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here. I mean, they're facing this threat. They're facing going to a fiery furnace. They're not going to bow down. And there was no, well, hey, can we think about this for a minute, king? Can we go maybe call our pastor and see what he thinks we ought to do? You know, can we pray about it? Uh, we'd like to fast for 10 days and see if we can uh, figure out what we should do. No, there was no hesitation at all. You know, we better decide right now what we're going to do before the provocation comes. We better decide, how are we going to answer the devil this week? How are we going to respond to those things that he brings our way? Here was a proclamation of refusal. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. There was no hesitation here. Here was a proclamation of refusal. You can threaten. You, you, can, you can raise your voice, king. You can yell at us. But we've already decided we're not bowing down. Peer pressure is not going to change our convictions. Solomon told his son, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Long before that son was going to face a temptation, the father was putting into his mind, son, decide right now, you're going to refuse. Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We've got to decide ahead of time, I'm not going to bow down to the pressures of this world. If we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. In other words, if there's no opposition, it's easy to stand for Christ. But we've got to decide now 
when that temptation comes, when that persecution comes, I'm going to refuse. This was a proclamation of refusal, but it was also a proclamation of reliance. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. King, we are confident that God is going to deliver us from this furnace. We know he's going to deliver us from you. But if he doesn't, we're still relying on him to know what is best. A proclamation of reliance. Will we trust God's will no matter what the outcome? See, the choices are ours. The consequences of our choices are God's. Are you willing to trust him with the consequence? He's trusting us with the choice. He didn't make us a robot. He said, I'm giving you a free will. You can decide whether to serve God or man. You can decide to serve God or the world. You have a choice. But the consequences of that choice are out of our hands. The Apostle Paul, he said, for to me to live is Christ. To die? Promotion, right? In other words, Paul said, you know what, you can kill me, but that's, that's going to work out really good for me. I'm going to heaven. There was a, a proclamation here of reliance. Paul said in Romans 14, whether we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And we've got to have that kind of trust, that kind of reliance in our God. So many times we say, well, I'll trust God as long as. I'll trust God if he gives me good health. I'll trust God as long as I keep my job. I'll trust God if I can live in a warm climate, you know. Whatever it is that we kind of attach to it, we say, I'll trust God if. But not these men. They said, if God deliver us, fine. If God doesn't deliver us, the answer is still the same. We're not bowing down. John Huss, the preacher who was martyred for his faith, he, he said, as the flames began to consume his body, he said, what I have taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. That's trust. But notice not only a provocation and a proclamation, but notice a pressure. The devil doesn't stop intimidating just because we say no. Just because we decide tonight, okay, I'm going to live for Christ, the devil doesn't say, well, I better leave them alone this week. We sang this morning, I have decided to follow Jesus. The devil heard us sing it. He said, well, I guess I better leave those folks alone. They, alone they've decided to follow Jesus. no. No, the devil's going to bring more pressure. When Joseph was tempted to commit a horrible sin with Potiphar's wife, he said no. And the next verse, it says, she came to him day by day. Someone says, opportunity knocks but once. I've added to that quote. Opportunity knocks but once. Temptation leans on the doorbell all day. 
You know, opportunities sometimes are few, but boy, the opportunity or the temptation to do wrong is always there. And the devil brings a continued pressure. And notice the intimidating fear here in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. This was not a bluff. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't take any joy in saying this, but we better realize in our American churches that this intimidation that we're sensing tonight from the government, from our society, it's not a bluff. It's real. This king wasn't just saying some words to try to see if he could get them to change their mind. He meant it. And some of the pressure that we sense today as Christians in America, we're starting to understand this is not a bluff. Satan is not a nice guy who backs down when he meets nice people. The devil doesn't say, you know, those people at Bible Baptist, they're really nice people. I think I'll leave them alone. No. He's a murderer from the beginning. Abode not in the truth. There is no truth in him. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because this adversary walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The word devour there means to make to disappear. Now, the devil doesn't have a magic wand. He can wave over you and make you vanish in thin air. But he wants your testimony to disappear. He wants to annihilate any impact that you would have on your community or on your family or on those that are lost around you. He wants to destroy you. So here is this pressure, an intimidating fear. And he, 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 he shows it through this intensified fire. In verse 21, then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the most mighty men in his kingdom. They throw these men into this fire and the fire consumes them. An intensified fire. Can I say tonight, things are going to get worse? I know we're all kind of looking forward to when this pandemic is over, right? We'd sure like to get this behind us. But if the pandemic passes, the devil's got more plans. He doesn't want you to meet as a church. He, he doesn't want you to get the gospel to this community. He doesn't want you preaching truth. The devil has got continual plans. Why? Because evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And the devil is very aware that he has a very short time to accomplish his mission. Thus, we've got to gird up the loins of our mind and be sober. Now, that leads us to a protection. And this is the part I like, but, the, but Satan hates. Notice the protection. This is the good part. Notice the surprised king in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, 
Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to him, True, O king. He's looking in this fire and he's saying, oh, Wait a minute. They're still alive. The guys who threw them in are dead. But we threw them in there. They're still alive. And, and, and verse 24, uh, 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 5, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. The king is astonished. Here is a surprised king. Don't ever play chess with God. <laughs> He's always at least three or four moves ahead of you. You know, the world thinks, oh, here's what we're going to do to get these Christians out of the way. Here's what we're going to do to make this illegal to do this or shut down the church or stop the gospel or whatever it is. But God's way ahead of our enemy, friends. He's way ahead. And he is going to protect us every step of the way. It's interesting in the book of Ecclesiastes 5, the Bible says in verse 9, if thou seest the oppression of the poor, and the violent perverting of judgment and justice. Well, I don't know about you, but if, if, if you've paid attention the last couple of years, I'm seeing that. The violent perverting of justice and judgment. I see that every time I turn on the news. The oppression of the poor. The violent perverting of law. The violent perverting of justice. You know what God says? Marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than them regardeth, and there is that is higher than they. You know what God is saying there? Look, you're going to see all kinds of wickedness. You're going to see all kinds of oppression. You're going to feel the threats, and you're going to be persecuted. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've already overcome it. I am more powerful than anything in this world. God is always one step, two steps, four steps ahead of our enemy. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We see a surprised king, but we see a sovereign keeper. In verse 25, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire, and the princes, the governors, the captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed on them. Now remember a few minutes ago, the guys who threw them in there were burnt to death. They bring these guys out, and their clothes don't even smell like smoke. A sovereign keeper. Aren't you glad that your hand is in the hand of God? Your, your life is in the hand of God. Aren't you glad that you know the Lord tonight? And whatever he's going to bring our way, he's going with us. He was with them in this fiery furnace. He was there with them. And he's going to be with you this week. 
He's going to be with you when that word comes for, for, from the doctor that says you need surgery. Or he's going to be with you when that trial or tragedy comes or that loss of job or that, that, that person who might leave or laugh at you for, for being a Christian. God is right there with us. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall they kindle upon thee. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist said, I'll fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. I have preached for a missionary over in China in the underground church, and this missionary is a Caucasian. He's 6'4". He has blonde hair. He has very light skin, very light complexion. He does not look Chinese, Okay. (laughs) He is a Caucasian American all the way. And uh, he tells the story where his wife's father had become ill here in the States, and he decided that it would be best for her to travel back to America with their four children to spend some time with his father-in-law. He didn't feel like he could go home right at that moment from the work there in China, but he felt like his wife needed to go. There was a possibility her father could die and he wanted the kids to, to, to see him, to visit him. And so they made the arrangements for his wife and the four children to travel back to America. Well, they were gonna be gone for about a month. And so the missionary, he decided this would be a good time to take the extra time that he would have and invest it in some of the men in the church. They, they were, this was the third church he had started, and, and uh, he, he tried to invest in the men to teach them how to teach a lesson or preach a sermon so in the, in the long run they could keep the church going. So there was a man in the church he had been working with uh, to lead the singing, and he had taught him how to, you know, kind of beat out the song and, 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 and have platform manners and all these kinds of things, and he felt like he was ready to lead a song. So this Wednesday night, he, he, he called him that afternoon. He said, listen, I want you to lead the singing tonight. I think you're ready to lead the singing tonight. So he got to the church, and the pastor had uh, gotten the songs ready and everything. And he said, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to tell the people that you're going to lead the singing tonight. And I'm going to go stand on the side because I want to watch you to make sure you're doing what I've taught you to do. But I want to watch the people, too, to see how they respond to you. So he said, I'm going to stand on the side. Don't let it intimidate you. Just, I'm going to stand there and I'm I'm going to watch both you and the crowd. So the service started and this gentleman came up and the pastor introduced him. He was going to lead the music that night. And he began the first song. The pastor went and stood on the side. They were singing the first verse of the first song when the back door opened and 10 policemen entered. All armed with rifles in hand. And a commander behind them, giving them orders. The missionary stood there and he said, Brother Gatch, my first thought was, how am I going to get word to my wife? She's in America. He thought, this is the end of our church. They have found us. It's an underground church. They found us. They're going to arrest me, at least, maybe some of the people tonight. They're going to confiscate my cell phone. How am I going to get word 
to my wife. He said, I was standing there thinking about the, my family. And the fellow led through the whole song. They stood across the back. The commander had a pen and a little notebook, and he's, he's looking over the crowd and writing something as if taking names, it appeared, describing people. And see, he, the first song ended, and, and the song leader looked at the pastor wondering, what do I do now? The people didn't all know that the police were there, but the song leader certainly knew. And so he looked over at the pastor, and, and, and the pastor kind of went, do another one. They sang for 30 minutes, song after song after song. Those policemen, after 30 minutes, the commander gave a signal with his hand, and they left. And they never heard from them again. And that missionary said, Brother Getch, I don't think they saw me. And when he first said that, I thought, yeah, they did. You're not Chinese. They had to have seen you. You're 6'4". You were standing. The people were sitting. You have blonde hair. They have black hair. They saw you. And then I thought, Maybe they didn't. Does God have the power to blind eyes? He sure did it in the Bible a few times where people didn't see what was actually happening. Listen, you have a God that will protect you this week. If you will walk forward in faith, if you will walk forward with a confidence that I'm doing what's right, God promises His protection. And then notice... All of this provoking ultimately ought to end with praise. Everything we encounter is for one ultimate purpose, and that is to praise the Lord. And here was a respected position. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. You know, the world may not always agree with our position, but when you take your stand for God, they'll respect you. Here was a king who was commanding them to bow down to his image of gold, and when they wouldn't do it, he said, you know what? These guys were not afraid. These guys didn't yield themselves. They gave themselves for their god. There was a platform of respect here. And let me tell you something. There are people that are watching you this week, and they may laugh at you. They may make fun of you for being a Christian. They might laugh at you for reading your Bible or going to church. But in their heart of hearts, there's a respect. When Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7, those who stoned him laid their clothes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. Saul was responsible for the death of Stephen. He had given the orders to stone him. But when Stephen died, the Bible says his face shone like that of an angel. And as he was being stoned, he turned and said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. And a few hours later, Saul is on his way to Damascus. And a light blinds him from the heavens. And Saul says, who art thou, Lord? He answered his own question. 
How did he know that was the Lord? He had had an encounter with a genuine Christian. And there was a respect for the way Stephen died that began to turn the heart of Saul toward God. We can't always see that happening. But when you and I are faithful to the Lord, there's a respected position and it ultimately leads to a rightful praise. In verse 29, therefore the king said, I make a decree that every people, nation, language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made a dunghill because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. Here's this king who was adamantly opposed to these men and their worship of God who's now saying there is no other God. And when you and I faithfully weather the storms of life, the world says ultimately it's because of God. And the praise goes to his direction. Is Satan provoking you tonight? That's not unusual. But God desires that we be unusual in our response to that harassment. Last spring... I got a text one day from one of our alumni. I had not really seen this girl in probably 20 years. Uh, she would make some communication from time to time. I try to text all of our alumni twice a year and, and uh, sometimes I'll get a comment back from them. Hey, thanks for the text, doing well, whatever. And there's a little give and take, but I, I had not had any real communication with this particular girl. I knew she'd gotten married. I knew her husband was a pastor. And, and, uh, uh, but it kind of lost track of them a little bit. But I got a text from her and she said, Brother Gedge, my son, Judson, is 14. And he's going to go to camp this summer for the first time. And he's going to go to the camp where you're preaching. And she named the camp and she said, I can't wait. Now I've told him all about some of the stories of when I was in college and some of the sermons you preached and some of the times I came for counsel and you, you encouraged me or whatever. And she said, I, I've built you up pretty big, so you better not blow it kind of a thing, you know. And well, she said, if you get a chance, you know, I hope you get to meet my son. It was a larger camp, about 600 teens were going to be there. And she said, I, I hope that you'll get to meet my son. Well, I kind of stored that away in my brain, made a note of it. I, I thought when I'm at that camp, I got to remember that. And fortunately, a couple of weeks before camp, she texted me again and said, he's, my son's coming. And he's all excited to meet you and, and kind of described him a little bit, what he looked like. And he, she said, he's really excited about hearing you preach and getting to meet you. Well, again, I was reminded, I got to the camp and the first night, it was a Monday, and I was walking down to the, to the gymnasium where the, where the preaching was going to take place, and I was coming down some stairs, and some outdoor stairs, and there was a split rail fence along the side of the sidewalk that I was walking, and as I looked ahead about maybe 50 yards, there was a, there was a boy sitting on the split rail fence, and he was looking up the sidewalk in my direction. I didn't think a lot about it. I thought maybe it might be against the rules to sit on that fence. But he, he was sitting on that fence and kind of looking. And as I got closer, he kind of was looking more intently. And I thought, that might be him. Well, I got within a few feet. He jumped off that fence. And he said, uh, are you Dr. Getch? And I said, I am. And you must be Judson. 
Well, when I called his name, of course, he thought that was the greatest thing in the world, you know, that I would know who he was. And he said, how did you know my name? I said, well, I know your mom, you know. And, uh, and we talked, what a delightful 14-year-old boy. I mean, he was excited about camp and never been to camp. And he was talking about his counselor in his cabin. He was talking about the events of the week. And he was looking forward to the preaching. And we walked into the auditorium together, just kind of chatting a little bit. And he went and got a seat. I watched him that night as I preached, and he was eagerly listening, and a lot like his mom, actually, in, in college, and he was just taking it all in, and I thought, what a delightful kid. What a joy to meet this boy. On Wednesday, I, I got a text from his mom. She said, Brother Gedge, my husband has suddenly passed away. Completely unexpected. And she said, I, I've thought and I've prayed and I've talked to my pastor and I just feel it's best not to tell Judson right now. He's at camp. He's having a great time. He's, he's enjoying things and I, I don't want to spoil that. But she said, I, I, I just want to let you know to be praying for him. Wow, boy. As I approached those services and I, I saw Judson sitting in the crowd those next services, my heart was just aching for him. Because he's sitting there just drinking it in and excited and making decisions. And I'm thinking, the devil's going to go like that. On Thursday evening, I got a text and his mom said, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to camp. I was going to wait, but it's starting to leak out. Some people in our church have found out, and we've got to make some funeral arrangements, and I need, I need Judson to be a part of that. And so I'm, I'm coming up tonight. I've got a place where I can stay in town. I have a friend in town that's going to let me stay tonight, and then tomorrow morning I'm going to come over to camp, and, and I'm going to let Judson know and I'm going to take him home. And she said, could you, could you help me tell him? Boy, I went in that camp director's office that next morning. Here was this 14-year-old boy having the time of his life at camp, making decisions for God, determined to live for God, and now a weeping mom is telling her son that his daddy's gone. And I watched that boy as she and I began to talk to him. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Gedge, I love Jesus Christ. And the devil is not going to get me. And you know, I thought as I sat there in that room, that is God. There is no explanation for a 14-year-old to not be bitter, to be angry, to question, to wonder why. But God in that moment said, I'm with him. I love him. I care about him. I have a plan for this. This is all part of it. And I'm going to give him the grace to get through it. And you know what? I don't know what you'll find out this week. Nor do I know what's coming my way. But I have a feeling the devil's got one of these 
somewhere coming soon. Whether it be to us as a, a Christian group, a church, or as an individual. But my friend, like these three Hebrew men and women, let's let the provocation turn to praise. The devil wants to provoke us to bitterness, to anger, to quitting. But if we play this right according to God's will, the, the Lord designs provoking to lead to praise. And our influence, our testimony grows greater because of what the devil tries to do in our life. And as Bible Baptist Church, in these days coming ahead of you, may God turn the provoking into praise so that more and more people can hear about our Savior because in the end of the day, that's what it's about.